This is the Social Distance Podcast, and today I'm speaking with Amanat Chokobayeva. Amanat Chokobayeva is a postdoctoral scholar at Nazarbayev University in the Central Asian country of Kazakhstan, but she was born and raised in the neighboring country of Kyrgyzstan. When we caught up, she was in Bishkek, the Kyrgyz capital, for reasons she's about to explain. Uh, as I'm recording this on Thursday, the 21st of May, Melbourne time, Kyrgyzstan has had 1,317 recorded cases of COVID-19 and 12 fatalities. This chat with Amanat Chokabayeva was recorded on Monday, the 18th of May, 2020. So I had to come here because my before the before the pandemics hit and before well in fact after the state of emergency was announced in Kazakhstan I left for Bishkek because a few days before that my grandmother was diagnosed with um, terminal lung cancer so I was afraid that once the border closed I wouldn't be able to come here and you know to spend time with her so I did I packed up my stuff, uh, I changed my ticket, and I came to Bishkek. So my grandmother died a few weeks ago. Um, She died about 10 days after I've come here. Uh, And now I'm in Bishkek, staying with my aunt's family. Um, I'm so sorry to hear that. Um, Thank you. Was your grandmother's death related in any way to COVID-19 or... No, it was not. No. Okay. Um, It was just a coincidence that it was lung cancer. In, in fact, she didn't die of cancer. She died of um, um, blood, um, what do you call it, blood plaque? Was it? Blood clot, sorry, not plaque. Sorry, my, 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 my English is quickly deteriorating because I don't really use it anymore. I speak to everyone's fashion. With your grandmother then, uh, were you able to get to see her in person? Yes, I was. Although um, it was it was a little strange, so I I've, I've arrived uh, from Kazakhstan, and the next day my um, my temperature rose, so I I was I had you know slight fever, so my my aunt decided to isolate me, in case I did. You know, get infected with something. Didn't have to be COVID; it could be something else, but. Since my grandmother was very ill, uh, we decided it would be much safer if I just uh, stayed in self-imposed quarantine for, you know, a week and a half, maybe two weeks. Mm-hmm. And so it was on the day that I was finally let out of the room that my grandmother died. So the only time I had a chance to talk to her uh, was a few days before that when I went to the garden and we could talk through the window. So she right. was still in the room and I was outside. What What was she like, your grandmother? My grandmother, well, she was a public servant for, um, for, for over 30 years. And yeah, she, she was an official for a very long time. Well, most of life, really. So, so a public servant... Um, was that in Kyrgyzstan? That was in Kyrgyzstan. So she worked in the Council of the Ministers of the Kyrgyz Soviet Socialist Republic. And then after the collapse of the Soviet Union, she worked in the um, presidential administration for a while. 
Did you spend a lot of time with her when you were growing up? She raised me, yes. Ah, right. Yeah, my parents divorced when I was two years old, uh, and my mother left to do her PhD in Moscow. So my grandmother raised me. Mm-hmm. What was she like as a, as a parent? As a parent? <laughs> yeah. Well, she, she loved me very much, but at the same time, she was very authoritarian. <laughs> she was very strict. <laughs> I think that's a common combination. Yeah. How was it to see her um, from the garden? Did you feel like you were able to connect? Not, not really. I mean, I didn't really have an opportunity to talk to talk to her for long. But um, about a week before that, I, I actually did fly. Um, maybe a week and a half before I came back home, I, I flew to Bishkek uh, for the weekend. So, in fact, I'm sorry, I, I, I knew about my grand, um, I, I actually made a mistake. Um, I knew about my grandma, I learned about my grandmother's cancer um, about two or three weeks before the, pan, uh, before the state of emergency was announced mm-hmm. in Kazakhstan. So, I flew, I flew to Bishkek immediately and I spent a weekend here. My grandmother was in the hospital, so I spent a whole day with her in the hospital and then I was able to talk to her. Mm-hmm. And spend some time with her. So um, I was very thankful that I had this opportunity. Yeah, yeah, of course. Because the second time I came, I couldn't really talk to her. Yeah. Um, and and if you're not comfortable uh, talking about this, then then please just say. But um, how do funeral arrangements work traditionally in Kyrgyzstan? So so like, were you able to have a normal funeral or? No, we weren't able to have a normal funeral. Um, I mean, usually um, we have to invite the the whole extended family. And this time we only invited the closest relatives. So altogether there were about 20 people. So we, uh, and and it's usually sort of a, a um, a big event, right? So lots of people come. Um, you have to cook a lot of food. And then um, you sort of, uh, yeah, but we, we couldn't, obviously, we couldn't invite many people. Um, so we just cooked some food, invited the closest relatives, and then we had to find a place to bury her very urgently. Was that difficult? Well, again, we were lucky because one of our distant relatives, um, he had contacts in the village, um, so in the village administration, so he had, um, he, he talked to the head of the village administration, and, and this is a sort of the, um, so all of the older established uh, burial grounds um, uh, are now short of space, so this is sort of a new spot to bury to bury the bodies in, in, in that village outside of Bishkek. So because our relatives had a contact in the administration, he talked to them and we were able to find the spot quickly. Otherwise, it would be pretty difficult to find a spot. Right. And and that's not because of um, COVID deaths, though, right? Well, partially because of that as well. Right? So getting out of the town, getting out of Bishkek, 
wasn't easy. So. What does that involve? Well, we uh, we hired a company um, that um, the you know that provides services, um, you know, um, like funeral services. Yeah. And and it was basically thanks to them and the paperwork that we had uh, from from the doctors that we were able to go to leave the town and come back. And, and and bury her. And because we had contacts in the village, uh, they uh, dug the um, dug the ground quickly. So they sort of uh, had everything prepared. Right, right. So how have you been since since you got back to town? I mean, I mostly stayed at home. Really, I very rarely go out. Again, I'm very lucky because my aunt lives in a, in a house rather than an apartment. So there is a garden that we can all go out to and, you know, breathe fresh air so we don't feel as cooped up as I think we would if we stayed in an apartment. So what's Bishkek like as a city? Well, it's usually quite lively. Um, So it's sort of very informal. There are lots of little shops, um, stalls, there are street food places. So if you go, and, and this is sort of the, the you know, the, the nicest time of the year when it's very warm and very green outdoors, but it's not too hot. So people like usually go out. So if you go to a park, there will be lots of people, lots of children playing. Um, but after the pandemic, the, you know, it, it became a lot emptier. Mm-hmm. Although there was still, you could still see people outside and you could still go outside, but you had to have, you had to fill out a special form and there were policemen everywhere. So you would have to show your, uh, your form to them in order to, to walk from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. Was your sense that, that people were generally taking it seriously? Well, in the city center, it seems uh, that people were taking it more seriously, probably because there were more policemen there. Yeah. But if you would go to the outskirts, you would still see a lot of people around. You would still you would still see children playing and, you know, um, people walking or, you know, just spending time outdoors. Yeah. So it really depended. Yeah. So is it is it strange being in the city then and... And her not being around? It's it's not that strange to be in the city, I suppose. I mean, now that the restrictions have been lifted, there are more people now. So it's only in the sort of, in the central street that, that I realized just how empty. So I... Um, I had to run some errands today and I went out to the city and the central street was empty, but otherwise there were as many cars as usual. So sometimes it depends on where you are. How long have the restrictions been lifted? So the, um, some, of the restric- some of the restrictions have been lifted last week and I think there are plans to lift more restrictions uh, in a couple of days. Well, in, in a few days. So some of the businesses reopened, but many of the businesses are still closed. But I think they're supposed to reopen on the 21st of May. 
And will you be going then, um, just so I'm clear about this, will you be going back to Kazakhstan? I I don't know yet. Um, so it's, it's likely that we will teach online next semester. Again, it hasn't been confirmed yet, so I have no idea where you know, where I'm going to go in, in, you know, in a couple of months. So I'm, I'm just waiting for the news. How does that feel? To wait? Yeah. The uncertainty can be sometimes. Well, <laughs> the thing is, as a, as, a, as a young academic, as someone who has applied for a number of fellowships, I'm, a, I'm used to the feeling of, of having to wait and, you know, to the feeling of of uncertainty, you know, to not know when what's going to happen next. So, no, it doesn't doesn't feel strange anymore. Yeah. Well, so what what is the focus of your research? Well, the focus of my research is um, the area or rather the region called uh, Semirechia, uh, which includes... Um, modern-day northern Kyrgyzstan and southeastern Kazakhstan. So it's on the border uh, of China. So I looked at the late colonial period. Um, so I looked at the history of, of the region all the way from the late colonial period um, through the uprising of 1916 and the civil war um, and um, at the sort of 1920s and late 1930s. So my research ends on the, on the eve of uh, World War II. So basically, it's it's a it's a political history of of, uh, of a region in Central Asia. Mm-hmm. And uh, are you still um, working on various aspects of that while you'll be teaching? Yes, I am. So I would like uh, to convert my thesis into a manuscript, but I need more archival data for that. So mm-hmm. I was hoping to work in the archives. Um, so I still hope to to be able to do some work in the archives in Bishkek and, and in Almaty in future. Do you, do you enjoy archive work? Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> what do you what do you like about that? What? Um. Well, I like the stories, <laughs> and I also like. Uh, well, I like learning new things. Mm-hmm. So there is um. I mean, on the one hand, there is a lot of comical and funny stuff that you can read about in the archives. On the other hand, there is plenty of, you know, tragedy and upheaval and and, and drama. So I like that. When you're thinking about publishing, then, um, you know, is there a particular um, argument that you're working towards in your in your thesis, in your manuscript? Yes. My argument is basically, if you looked at this particular region in 1920s and 1930s, the Soviet policies were, you know, in, in the region were not that different from the Tsarist ones. So they, they still sought to sort of, um, to, to bring more colonists in, to develop the agriculture, to settle the nomads. And the same inequalities that were set up or entrenched under the Tsarist administration uh, were perpetuated by the Soviet government. Does that lead you to any particular conclusions? 
Well, the, the conclusion would be that there is a debate in the Central Asian studies of whether the Soviet uh, Union was a colonial, uh, a, a form of colonial rule or whether it was different. So my logic conclusion is that it was a kind of colonial rule, a colonial regime. Are there people in Kyrgyzstan who, I wouldn't say who long for that, um, period of Soviet rule, but uh, are there people who feel that the, uh, at least under Soviet rule there was a certain kind of stability, even if it wasn't a particularly uh, desirable kind of stability? Oh, actually, I, I think most people um, of of particular generation, or you know, um, older than than forty, maybe they all sort of feel that um, there was a lot more security. In the Soviet Union, right, but n- not so much in, in younger people. Well, the younger, younger generation, generation doesn't really know <laughs> that didn't have the Soviet experience. I mean, by, by the time I went, yeah, um, yeah, of course. By the yeah. time I went to school, the Soviet Union collapsed. So I was in 1984, and I was seven when when the Soviet Union dissolved. Do you have any awareness of that at all from your memory? Of the Soviet, because it's pretty ma- well. It's such a massive upheaval societally, you know. Well, um, so my memories of the collapse of the Soviet Union uh, were of the um, state of emergency that was uh, introduced in Kyrgyzstan. Because, well, actually, no, that happened a year before the, the dissolution of the Soviet Union. So uh, there were ethnic riots in the south of Kyrgyzstan in 1990. And I remember the state of emergency, and we lived on the eighth floor of an apartment building um, in the very center of, of the city. So it was the busiest street. And because we lived so high up, I could see the street. And I remember, and it was always busy. Even in the Soviet times, when only a few people had cars, there were always plenty of cars there. And I remember looking down, and there were no cars and no people at all. So that that was my memory, and then uh, when the Soviet uh, Union was, uh, you know, you know, it, was, it, it didn't happen in one day, right? So it sort of uh, was a, a process that, that took some time. Yeah. Um, I remember my grandmother; she had to work a lot more than usual. I mean, she already worked a lot, uh, but in that particular period, she would sort of uh, work. Uh, until midnight or, you know, until early hours of the morning, and then she would come back home. So I remember that. Oh, and I, I remember, um, again, when when, an indi- when independent Kyrgyzstan introduced its own, uh, its own, um, its own um, currency, uh, because Kyrgyzstan didn't have money to, to make metal coins, uh, we had paper coins for a very long time. So I remember getting these paper coins from my grandmother, and I remember painting them. Oh, sorry, uh, I remember uh, painting with them in school. So, did your grandmother speak much about the the nature of the change? Because she she lived through a long period where she would be working in government administration, if I've got that right. And then there's this massive upheaval. Well. 
back then she didn't really talk to me about it because I was too young. I wouldn't be able to understand much. I think. No, no. I, I, I meant, I meant after that, like in subsequent years, when, when you spoke to her. Well, she didn't talk much. Um, she, she, she did tell me a few things. She told me that, for example, she, um, she found a, a translator to translate the Declaration of Independence that was then wired to the UN headquarters in New York at like 2 a.m. in the morning. And that uh, this translator was a professor of English who eventually immigrated to the United States. He was sort of um, uh, a Jew. So, but she she didn't really talk that much. If you, if you, I, I asked her, um, I, I remember asking her a few questions and, and then she would tell me, oh, that's a state secret. And I signed, uh, you know, a non-disclosure agreement. So I will, I will take my secrets to the tomb, which she did. Amanat Chokabayeva, speaking with me from Bishkek in Kyrgyzstan on Monday, the 18th of May, 2020.